it was always the people who blamed the culture for not being successful. It was like, oh, how do you expect me to be successful in a coach it, when a coach is doing this or when the culture's like this? And it was just a really interesting concept because for me it was a bit of an excuse because there were always people in the team, whether it was a good culture or a bad culture, who were getting runs and, or taking wickets. Welcome to Under the Lid, a podcast where we discuss skill development, mental skills, performance and coaching. I'm Tom Scolay and I'm the founder of Cricket Mentoring and my co-hosts are former Australian Test cricketer, now professional coach Chris Bucky Rogers and Charlie Burke who has previously been the director of cricket and head coach of Hong Kong and a coach and talent specialist for Queensland cricket. The three of us are great mates and regularly talk and share ideas about what we're learning to continue to better ourselves. This podcast aims to give you an insight into some of the conversations we have and hopefully answer some questions and issues that we're continually seeing or hearing. So let's get under the lid. G'day legends and welcome to another episode of Under the Lid with Skulls, Buck and Berkey. This is the first episode we've published in a while with our usual format of the three of us back together. In this episode, we talk about leadership and the idea of cultural architects versus cultural assassins. This might not make sense now, but I'm sure you'll understand what we're talking about once you start listening. I just want to take a moment to congratulate Buck, who has just been appointed as the head coach of Victoria. This is a massive role and one that Buck is thoroughly deserving of, and I'm sure you'll support me in wishing Buck the very best over the next few years as he takes on this position. He said that he will still do the podcast, and we aim to bring you an episode as regularly as our busy schedules allow us to. We think there's a lot of value in this episode, so let's get into it. It's been a while. It is great to be back. How are we, boys? Fantastic skulls and Buck. Yes, good nice to see uh, your faces. It has been a while, so good to get us back in the, the same room, so to speak. So I, I feel like I need to address the elephant in the room. Do, do, do I need to do that now? Or Steve Smith is still not following me on Instagram. <laughs> and I, I'm not sure when it comes to a stage where you just got to give up, I suppose. I don't know. What do you think? Move on with your life. Uh, I, I'm always a fan of persistence and hanging in there. You never know. Yeah, I just hope he does. I just hope he doesn't call the cops. It's getting a bit. It's getting a bit too much. Anyway, we've addressed the elephant in the room. Thank you. Thanks, Berkey. So we've all had a lot going on, and we would have been. We would have liked to have been doing these more regularly, but it's been a busy time. So to get back into it, we're going to talk today a little bit about leadership and how people can either, and young athletes especially, can either be what we call cultural architects or cultural assassins. Buck, can you give us some more context on what that actually means? Yeah, I, I, I kind of remember my time as uh, in county cricket in particular. And one of the kind of realisations I came to was in a squad of about, I don't know, it felt like probably around 25 or 20 or whatever, you'd, you'd always had two or three guys who just used to create two-thirds of the drama. And it was always the same people all the time and and then I kind of realized I, I came up with my own thought around it it was who are the people who are giving energy to the, to the group and who are the people who are taking energy out of the group and, and then you and I Skulls have, have done a bit of online learning in this uh, COVID period and and we kind of came across a, a different language to it so I'll, I'll let you discuss that. The old energy giver and energy taker is something I've been all very conscious of for a long time one of my Good friends, uh, Ben Brown, who's the captain of the Sussex County Cricket Club. He said that Peter Moores used to be one of the uh, coach at Sussex, and he went on to coach England. 
And that's a phrase that Peter Moores used to say in the change room is who's an energy giver and who's an energy taker. And you really want to try and have an environment where, where you've got lots and lots of energy givers. And I suppose through the Changing the Game project that we did online, which you, which you mentioned, they had the term cultural architects or cultural assassins, players who either build the culture and make the culture better and want to get everyone else into the sort of buying into the good culture and the good behaviours, the good standards, good habits. And then you have those guys, like you say, who create drama, who create tension, who create a bit of conflict amongst the group or, group or amongst, amongst the coaching staff. And as coaches ourselves now, we're always wanting players to, we want more cultural architects than cultural assassins. Berkey, what about in your experiences, in your coaching, have you come across sort of that, that idea? Absolutely. Probably a bit too much in, in my uh, coaching background, but well, I've, got, I've got a quick question before I go on to that. And we probably don't want to talk too much about the assassins in, in this pod. We probably want to talk about obviously the architects, but what, what's one of the characteristics or the common characteristics that the assassins have? Yes, it's interesting, Berkey. But one, of the, one of the ones that always stuck out to me was it was always the people who blamed the culture for not being successful. It was like, oh, how do you expect me to be successful in a coach it, when a coach is doing this or when the culture's like this? And it was just a really interesting concept because for me it was a bit of an excuse because there were always people in the team, whether it was a good culture or a bad culture, who were getting runs and, or taking wickets. So it's not impossible to do well when the environment's not, not great, but it's the people who are using it as an excuse and then they would verbalise it to others and try and almost drag them down. The excuses would kind of add up. It was, it was a reason for why they weren't doing well and they just wanted to blame something else. And, and it just seemed that was a, an easy target. And then, yeah, like I said, that'd pull everyone else down. Say a trait when the first thing that came to mind when you asked that, Berkey, is I think insecure people and people who ha have a mindset of scarcity, they sort of, they are the ones that create conflict. They're the ones that create drama. They think that if someone else does well or someone else is doing well, it takes away from them potentially. And their insecurities, I think, don't allow them to like try and help others get better and try and make the environment better for the team. So those insecurities cause them to sort of talk behind people's backs or blame someone else, make excuses. And I think those that are really secure and have a growth mindset and they have an abundant mindset, they say that if you score runs today, it doesn't mean I can't score runs. And they want to help everyone get better, want to drive for sort of the team in the right direction. They're the ones that are the cultural architects, I reckon. Yeah, I'd agree. I reckon one of the things that I've noticed with the assassins is they're often people that don't come up with solutions, aren't they? They're people that tend to tend to make drama, tend to come up with a lot of problems, but don't tend to come up with solutions. But no, I found that really interesting. But no, in my coaching journey, I've, I've certainly come across um, yeah, both sides of it, the assassins and the architects. And, you know, particularly one, one story stands out to me of being in Sri Lanka where I just started coaching the Hong Kong side and I won't, I won't mention names in it, but started coaching the Hong Kong side and there were a few senior players that didn't maybe didn't respect me as a coach or maybe they didn't respect the group. I'm not really sure what it was, but um, they were causing quite a lot of uh, conflict in the background. But um, that's certainly something that I reckon I can maybe uh, discuss a little bit more in detail as we go on in the pod. Today's episode is brought to you by the brand new Swinger Technique Ball, the training ball endorsed by Australian cricket great and current coach Justin Langer. I am super excited about this. As a cricket coach, I'm always trying to find ways to challenge the batters that I work with. 
Unfortunately, due to cricket balls costing a lot and not lasting very long when used on synthetic wickets, I usually use bowling machine balls as they last for a long time. The main issue with this though is they never move. Yet, in a match, we all know that the ball swings and seams, so we therefore aren't practicing how we play. In the past, I've taped up a tennis ball and thrown it at batters to challenge them against the swinging ball. While this is okay, I can't throw them fast enough and it's not sustainable as it puts a lot of strain on my body. So, when I first heard about the swinger technique ball, I was incredibly excited. And I was even more excited when I first used it, and it was better than I ever thought it could be. It swung, but not too much. Just enough to challenge the batsmen and stop them throwing their hands through the balls that aren't moving. I've used a few of the swinger balls over the past month and been really impressed with how lifelike they are. They swing and seam, just like a cricket ball. Yet they last longer and are a fraction of the cost. Plus, they fit in the wanger beautifully. No longer will batters have to face a ball that doesn't move. Australian coach Justin Langer loved it when he saw it, so much so that he recorded a video endorsing it. Personally, I'm pumped and think this is a game changer for cricketers and coaches. To see what they are like and order yourself one or a few, head to www.cricketmentoring.com forward slash swinger ball. That's swinger with an A, S-W-I-N-G-A ball. I have no doubt you'll love training with them as much as we love using them. As a player, do you think you've always been uh, an architect or have you been through periods where depending on how your form is and, and, and cricket such a, we're talking about coaching and about culture and leadership. It's not just in a cricket sense, but cricket is such a results driven game. What, what are you, how have you been sort of throughout your career, Buck? Uh, not perfect. I think, I think kind of growing up, I, I was very much enjoying it and it's easy to get kind of carried away with playing cricket professionally and enjoying the good times and probably just not, wasn't an excellent role model for other players at certain times. So I think I came to kind of understand that the further and further I went in my career. But yeah, I think there were moments where I probably wasn't perfect and and didn't really show leadership qualities. And I think with that, one of the things that you and I have done, Skulls, when we've been talking to, to a group of people is, is actually getting them to write down how they want to be viewed by their peers. I think it's actually quite a good idea to do just because it, it gives you a, some guardrails, gives you some direction about what kind of actions you want to take. So, you know, I just think at times I was good and then at other times I was bad and there was no consistency and, and probably because I just didn't really know what I was doing. So I think what one of the, yeah, like what I said, one of the good things perhaps you want to do is just write down what kind of qualities you want to have and then and there your guardrails and, and you stick to them. Yeah, that's interesting hearing that, Buck. And I, I think I mentioned this on an earlier pod that we did, but one of the activities I've done, and I suppose there's probably a lot of coaches that are, that are listening into this as well, or, or you know, captains, senior leaders of groups. And one of the exercises I did, which by all means is not perfect, and you've got to be really careful with doing it. But I gave um, this particular Hong Kong group that I had early on, there was some butting of heads and there was a few different characters and plenty of um, assassins, if I, if I can say that. And I gave them sheets of paper and I had their name and I wanted um, on each sheet of paper and on the back it had, I want you to do more of and on the front it had, I want you to do less of. And I think I've spoken about this before, but I gave them the sheet of paper and they actually had to write about each individual player and I kept it in one of the meeting rooms and they had to come between you know 12 and 2 o'clock or whatever and do it. And it was a really good honesty session um, because they didn't know who wrote it. People could be really upfront and honest, but there was also, there was the negative side of things, but there was also the positive side of things. But I wouldn't recommend that for all groups. It, it was almost a, 
was almost a last resort to really be upfront and stare some of those problems that we had um, straight in the straight in the eye. But it seemed did, to work. We, we we did get some resolution from it. Just to be clear for all of our listeners, did the player then read what everyone else had written, or was it just for the coach's purpose, or how did it actually work? Yeah, so he got them to then fold up the bits of paper. They had to grab one bit of paper each, so we chucked it in the middle, folded it up. Each player had to grab a grab a bit of paper out, so most likely wasn't their sheet. And they would read out, you know, Tom Scully, we want you to do more of this. We want you to do less of that. And we sat in a circle all facing each other. Yeah, some people didn't like it. Um, it was pretty conf- confronting for some. Like some of them got absolutely hammered. But I feel like it, I, f- I felt like it was a step towards mending probably the poor culture and, and, and that that we had in the group. Coaches, listen to this. It's about understanding your group. This was a professional setup of, of men and that's something they needed to do. Whereas if you're coaching teenagers, you, you might not be as honest and as brutal. But what I what I want to go back to is... Are you, say, you, are you saying, Skulls, that maybe the master blaster group on a Friday night, the uh, nine and 10-year-olds, probably not, not suited to them? Not, but again, it's about reading your audience and maybe they'd enjoy <laughs> talking about each other. Just going back to the behaviours, I read a, I read a, a um, extract from a book. Have either of you read The Captain Class? No, so oh, I've, I've listened to a, a podcast um, about it. Just I was going to reference that one too. If you ever, ever want to listen to someone talking about the, the Captain Class, which is a really interesting concept, there's one called Jeremy Boone. Uh, I think it's the winning leader. I had it a second ago. While you look that up, Buck, while you look that up, I'll just read this out. So I read an extract from that. And as a result of reading this article yesterday, I went and ordered the book. It's going to get delivered in a couple of weeks. I'm going to read it. But he talks, this guy studied for over 11 years. He studied all the most successful teams ever. And he came up with a shortlist of 17 teams that all ticked a certain box and criteria to make that shortlist. And he said the one common trait was that they all had a leader or a captain who did something and, and um, sort of had a certain trait that they followed. And he said leadership is actually very simple. It's a behavioural, it's a behaviour pattern. But really anyone can change their behaviour. And that's what blew me away about these captains. So basically he's saying that the best sports teams were, were because of these best leaders. However, they all just had behaviours and we can all change our behaviours. So if you're a cultural assassin now there's no reason why you can't become a cultural architect and if you're not quite a cultural architect and you're somewhere in the middle there's no reason why you can't change your behaviors to become a cultural architect i agree i think people can change and i'm probably going to sound a bit negative here but i've rarely seen a change at a senior level you get characters that you know whether it's that they've been dropped or they think that they're not batting or or bowling in the right position or or whatever different reasons right some personality clashes it is really hard to see that change um and, and i don't mean to come across negative i just it is a really tough one and a few times I've actually spoken about guys, particularly at club cricket level, that have that sort of culture. And, I, and I've often suggested to them a, a change of environment, a change to a new team and start fresh and stuff um, might be the way to go. But don't, don't mean to be negative on it. But I, I agree you can change, but it's bloody hard. Let's take a break from this episode for a minute and go back to our last episode with Cricket Australian sports psychologist, Peter Clark. I don't know, a really interesting one. You, know, you just pointed to Hadden. I'll point to Rafael Nadal. Who is known by a lot of his competitors as the, the most competitive guy, comes up in the clutch under pressure, all this kind of stuff. Um, and has actually confessed to being a really, he's one of the things I love about him, he's very open in, in the way he talks about, you know, how he's feeling and uh, whether he played well or not. So he always says, you know, he gets really nervous. And I love to watch him operate. One of the things he does 
is bring a lot. He has a very prescribed um, routine and control in his routine. And what he does is if you watch very carefully, he sporadically lets out that emotion or those nerves at various points in the match. So at the front, at the beginning of the match, you'll see him sprint to the back of the court, running up and down, jumping and all this kind of stuff. And you might think, oh, he's just trying to show something to his opponent. Man, that's releasing some nervous energy. Uh, if I've ever seen it, he's running, he's jumping, and it releases some nervous energy. And then he's got his routines, his meticulous with his water bottle, where he walks on the lane, his pre-service routine. So that's one way he manages anxiety. Release little bits of emotion where you can, control the process really well. Now let's get back to this episode. Well, that's, that's interesting itself, Berkey, because that, that concept of the cultural architects and assassins kind of follows a 10-80-10 rule where, where 10% of the cultural architects, 10% of the cultural uh, assassins, and you've got that 80% middle. And, and we were learning it from a, a coach's learn, lens. And the kind of feedback was not to really worry about the, the cultural assassins as such, but more trying to isolate those, those by getting more of the kind of 80% into the cultural architect. So it's interesting because a lot of focus always goes to those guys, the takers, you know, the, the, the people who, who seem to kind of be front and centre complaining all the time, whatever, when actually there's only one way they're going to change and, and that's if they make the decision, if they feel like they're all by themselves kind of thing. So I, I hear what you're saying, Berkey. It's like, why would you change if you, if you don't necessarily think you're doing anything wrong? But if you're all, all alone, then, then I think that then you have to. So just, just I just want to reference when I, I finished my career, which was in 2016, captain in Somerset. And I was a 38-year-old guy, 39-year-old guy. 109 um, as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. And um, the next year, the coach, Matthew Maynard, got Tom Abel to be, to be captain. He was 22. So there was a big shift in, in the leadership. And... I personally, I'll, I'll be the first one to put man up and say, look, I didn't think it was right. I didn't think tactically he was quite aware just just as yet, you know, and he had a lot to learn to, and look after his own game. But one of the things, I came back and did some coaching as an assistant the next year, and he was captain. And one of the things that stood out was just his behaviours and how he kind of almost made everybody be accountable to their own behaviours. He, he was such a driving force in, in this as being an architect that almost everyone else, it also helped that the oldest player there, Marcus Trescothic, was exactly the same. Tres would hit more balls than anyone and then even when he'd stopped, he'd be there sidearming to the other players because he just loved it. So you had these kind of two people, the, the oldest and the youngest, almost working hand in hand and it just meant everybody else had to come along on the journey. They, they couldn't, if they didn't, they just wouldn't fit in. So when you're talking about how do you improve your culture, I think this is what is important, is, is if you can kind of almost create this kind of momentum going in the right direction, that the people who are, who are dragging their feet, if they don't decide to come on, then they're going to be left behind. Yeah, I reckon that's a great, really great point, Buck. And I reckon just reflecting on some of the experiences I've had is that, Often coaches and, and leaders will, will go to those assassins, right? And they'll try and change their mind and it sucks so much energy out of you, doesn't it? Like, yeah, you're there. Yeah. You almost feel like you're butting your head against the wall, but you continually do it, almost like it's a challenge. And, and I often, when, when I have been in those situations, I've often sat down and reflected, whether it be an end of a season or mid-season review or end of a tour, whatever it is. And I think to myself, why have I done that? Why have I spend so much of my energy with the assassins why haven't i spent my energy on those guys that are 50 50 
all the architects and actually spent more time with those guys because it really does it sucks so much energy out of you i know we've spoken recently about how parents can sort of suck the life out of you and sometimes the kids are actually good kids but the parents are the ones that are sort of the culturalist assassins how would you deal with or advise a coach or your younger self who maybe is having issues with some parents not necessarily the kids that's um yeah that's a really good point and i it's an interesting topic that one i actually had some i had some parents in last night as as i think listeners probably know i work in footy now and i had some parents sort of this induction thing in one of our programs last night one of the things that i raised to them is I'm talking to sort of parents of 15, 16 year olds, right? So just to give you a bit of context to it. And I said to the parents, like, now's the time to enjoy being a parent. Now's the time to understand that, you know, your son is going to be dropped sometimes. Your son isn't going to be selected all the time. Your son isn't always going to be the best player now because they're at a different level. They're in a talent program. They're not in a community club environment or a school environment. So they're now you know, one of 40 very talented athletes, not, you know, two or three in a team. So saying that to the parents last night, I think resonated with some of them, like getting them to understand that actually when your son hops in the car, sometimes he's going to need an arm around him. You know, sometimes he's going to need some reassurance. Like be be a parent, focus on being a parent now and, and actually let the coaches and the strength conditioning staff and the physio and all sorts of people that luckily a lot of these talented athletes get nowadays is, let them take care of that stuff and, and learn to become a parent again. Because when, when you're a parent of sort of really young kids that are starting their journey in, in, in sport, you do become a mentor, you do become a coach. Um, and that's almost organic the way that that happens. But at some stage, you need to, to take that step back. And I think that's part of what you're saying there, Skulls, is a lot of parents find it really tough to let go of that. And I think it's really important, really, really important. Well, uh, I think we're going to actually try and talk about that topic of parenting athletes in another episode, but it's good to give a little bit of insight there. So before we wrap up, I think when I reflect sort of back on my career or my, my sporting life, I remember whether it was soccer or cricket, I valued being a leader and I valued sort of being the captain. I thought that that meant I was one of the best players and, I always wanted to be the best I could be. So I would try and get there early. I'd try and help pack up. I'd try and be the one out the front when doing the fitness. I'd try and always have my behaviours. And not because I knew anything about culture. I didn't know what that word meant. I didn't know what a cultural architect or a cultural assassin was. I just wanted to be a role model and set an example and be a leader. And, and then my behaviours reflected that. So I think any young players listening to this and Berkey we spoke beforehand you said you were similar you weren't always the best player but sometimes you're picked as captain because of your behaviors I think for any young player listening to this it's about your behaviors and you can choose that you choose how you approach your your training your environment and then you could be the captain everyone can be a leader in their own right regardless of who you are and how good you are yeah i reckon you're spot on skulls and um to be a, a you know a cultural architect requires zero talent doesn't it um it's unlike a cover driver or or bowling that perfect leg spinner it's actually zero talent it's about understanding what it looks like which is sometimes tough um and then actually practicing and living it and not just living it when the coach is around or not just living it when you know, the captains around. But yeah, I was very similar skulls. I mean, I, I, I didn't have the talent that a lot of other guys had, but I often was, was put in leadership roles, mainly mainly because 
I was just had the right characteristics, I think, when I was younger and I was sort of first to training, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's really important. Um, yeah, I'll just finish on that. I think when I was lucky enough to go play for Australia the second time round and, and we had some real success and a lot of the younger players like Steve Smith and, and Davey Warner and, and these kind of players started to flourish was a lot to do with the fact that there was a lot of kind of leaders in that side that they could learn from. It wasn't like they just had to look at Michael Clark and go, okay, what he does, I have to do. But more the environment was gave them a bit of variety so they could look at, you know, what does Brad Haddon do? What does Shane Watson do? What does Peter Siddle do? That kind of stuff. Even what, what did I do, being one of the older guys? So that, that kind of then helped them because they could kind of almost learn which style suit them better. So for your side to be good, uh, I think that you want to have that kind of environment where there's there's a lot of players that you can learn off. And so if you want your younger players to be to be good, then you've got to be an example for them. And that, that's just a simple case of, of leadership. Very, very true. And yeah, it doesn't matter who you are, your behaviours can be a role model. So that's pretty much it, boys. Let's keep it short and sharp. Any final thoughts to wrap us up? No, not really. It's been an interesting topic, I reckon. I love the idea of, you know, the cultural architects. I think that's a really good way of putting it. But just keep learning, surround yourself with good people and yeah, you're on the right path. Uh, yeah, the, the pies are going well, Skulls. That they've lost the West Coast and, and my team, the Dockers, over the last couple of weeks. So uh, chin up, my friend. Yeah, it's coming Lucky. into cricket season, mate. We're not watching footy anymore. Well, Lucky. you are. You've been to both games. Yeah, well, I'm off them now. I'm over it. No, I'm not. I love the pies. Come on, the boys. They're going to be back. Come back. They're playing today, actually. They're playing in a couple of hours. This Thursday, oh, midweek, footy's uh, throwing me off a bit, but they'll be on soon. Right. The the, the wife allowing you to go to this game? Nah, it's in Brisbane, actually, it's so I'm not going to that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, legends, let's leave it there. Thanks, boys. Another great chat, and we will aim to be back with another episode much sooner than we have uh, recently. So cheers, boys. Good on you guys. Thanks, guys. Well, legends, I think that was a really important topic for athletes, coaches, and parents to understand. Here's the five key things that I took out of this episode. One, I love Buck's thought of energy givers versus energy takers. We all have limited reserves of energy and no one enjoys having their energy sapped by others. It might be worth asking yourself, am I an energy giver or an energy taker? Do I uplift the people around me or do I make their life harder? Two, cultural assassins are usually insecure and generally full of excuses. They try to blame others and pull everyone else around them down and they come up with a lot of problems but don't come up with many solutions. Three, I enjoyed the discussion about whether people can actually change or not. Berkey doesn't really think so based on his experiences, but I do think people can change. But it takes a huge mindset and behavioural shift, and that doesn't happen overnight. Ever since I heard the 10-80-10 rule, I've thought this is an excellent way for coaches and leaders to improve the culture of a team. Instead of focusing on the top 10% who are the cultural architects, or the bottom 10% who are the cultural assassins, focus on getting more of the 80% who are in the middle, to move closer to becoming cultural architects. Generally, cultural assassins take most of the leadership group's energy, which brings the group down. And while it's hard not to give them energy, instead, try and focus as much energy as you can on the 80% in the middle. If you can change their behaviours for the better, then the group will be in a much better place. And five, I love Berkey's comment that being a cultural architect requires zero talent. It's about understanding what it takes, then living it, and not just when the coach or captain is around. What are the main things you took out of this episode? As I've said before, understanding the theory is great, but more importantly, how can you start to implement some of those ideas into your cricket and your life? Whether you're a coach, player or parent, you're part of a team's culture. 
I really encourage you to think about whether you're more of an architect or an assassin, and then think about how you can be a leader in your environment by improving your behaviors on a daily basis. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you enjoyed it, we'd absolutely love it if you can share it with some friends or teammates or whoever you think might also enjoy it. Share it in a WhatsApp group, on Facebook, your Instagram story, or just send someone the link. We want this podcast to give as much value as it can, so we'd love to hear your feedback. What did you find interesting or learn from this show? We also want to hear what topics you'd like us to discuss in future episodes. So send me a message via the Cricket Mentoring social media channels and we'll start shouting out the people who suggested the topics we're discussing. We look forward to bringing you another episode soon. Until then, stay safe, work hard, and always try to learn and be better than you were yesterday. And most importantly, smile and enjoy the process. Shop boy! Talk soon, legends.